Welcome to the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. My name is Natalie Nidham. I'm a nutritionist, a human potential, and epigenetic coach, and I created this podcast to bring you the latest ways to take control of your health and longevity. We cover it all, from new technology to ancestral health practices, personalized interventions, and a very special interest of mine, peptides. Enjoy the show. Hey, folks. Welcome back to the show. Today, you just get me. Today's another solo episode. The last solo episode I did was on nutrition. Today, I'm talking about sleep. I'm going to be doing these on the pillars that I use when I'm coaching people, the pillars of health and performance that are critical to address in order to ensure longevity and health span, which is really what we're all about here, right? We're going to touch on peptides at the end in my section, is there a peptide for that? But first, we're going to kind of pull sleep apart a little bit. So what we're fighting here is the narrative that I'll sleep when I'm dead. This is a very common expression. It's an expression that I personally used a lot when I was younger, kind of wish I hadn't, but here's the deal. If you if you pay attention, <laughs> you'll know that sleep deprivation is a form of torture. Not sleeping is going to have massive, massive negative impacts on your longevity and on your health. And I'm going to talk about four different ways that your sleep is going to impact your health and longevity. So we need to wipe that out. Think of sleep as the time when your body is doing all of the repair work, when it's recovering from the day, when you're preparing for the next day, where you're consolidating information and memories. There is a lot going on in your body while you're sleeping. And this is why it is so critical for us to ensure that we're not only spending time in our bed, but that time is well spent in that we are getting good quality sleep. So how much sleep should you be getting? That's a tough question to answer. Depending on what you're reading and where you're looking, anywhere from six and a half to eight hours is the sweet spot for sleep. And different people are going to have different needs. I suspect part of it has to do with your genetics, but another part of it also has to do with the quality of sleep that you're getting. So what we want to do is we want to make sure that our sleep hygiene is so bang on that whatever time we're sp we spend with our eyes closed, breathing deeply, sleeping is going to be as well-structured as possible. So it allows our body, allows us to go move through the different phases of sleep. You want at least four or five of those sleep cycles through the night and you want to be getting quality sleep. And you know you're getting quality sleep when you wake up in the morning and you feel refreshed, right? So let's get into it. And we're going to talk about what gets in the way of sleep and the whole nine yards. So, so here's ways, four ways that sleep impacts longevity. Number one, sleep deprivation is going to have a negative effect on your immune system. Sleep deprivation will lead to you getting sick more often. We've all had this experience. You have a bunch of poor nights of sleep and you go out and you catch a cold or you catch a flu or whatever the case may be. Your immune system drops. It goes down. When you're sleeping, your immune system actually produces very specific cytokines, which can help to fight off infections, inflammation, and even stress. So, Think of sleep, we've got beauty sleep, which is a thing, but there's also sleep for your immune system. So knowing that when we when we don't get enough sleep, our immune system is going to suffer, especially as we're moving into cold and flu season, guys, we need to get good quality sleep to support proper immunity. And also a major cause of compromised health span and longevity 
is poor immune function. So we need to do everything we can to support our immune system. Number two, hormone regulation. Your cortisol, it will, should naturally lower when you're sleeping. Sleep also helps to regulate hormones like insulin and leptin, which strongly impact your blood sugar regulation and your appetite. So hormone regulation is a critical piece of good sleep. Now, we know that if your cortisol is dysregulated, and this is a thing, right, where people's cortisol, instead of being low at night and high in the morning, that curve gets reversed. That is something you need to work on with a practitioner in order to help your body to reboot and reset that cortisol. We could talk about that in a future podcast if that's something that people are interested in. But bottom line, when our hormone system is working properly, proper sleep allows us to enjoy that time of low cortisol because cortisol is a catabolic hormone. It doesn't allow us to build. And so we need cortisol to be low during sleep so that our body can do the rebuilding that it needs to do while you're sleeping, which we're going to talk about a little further on. Okay. Number three, inflammation. We know that inflammation, chronic inflammation, contributes to everything from heart disease to cancer, neurodegenerative diseases, you name it, right? Sleep, good quality sleep helps to reduce inflammation by reducing the production of inflammatory cytokines. So I've said the cytokine word twice, one in a good context and two in a bad context. So know that cytokines is a class of compounds in your system. There's good ones and bad ones. And it's not that they're good and bad. They're all there for a reason, but specific cytokines do different things. And if we don't get good sleep, we get an increase in the production of inflammatory cytokines. We actually, one of the new hallmarks of aging is called inflammaging. So we are recognizing that chronic ongoing inflammation is a massive issue for longevity and health span. Number four, brain health. Many of you will know this. Put short, I mean, to be short and sweet about this, proper, good quality sleep improves cognitive function and memory consolidation. Sleep deprivation will ultimately be a contributing factor to neurodegenerative diseases when those when when the landscape's already there. I don't know that not sleeping is going to cause a neurodegenerative disease, but definitely it's going to open the door because when you're sleeping, your glymphatic system, which was only discovered in the last couple of decades, the glymphatic system is a lymphatic system specifically in the brain. That's when it can do its thing and it can clear toxins from the brain. We're going to talk about it a little bit more. Okay, so what gets in the way of good sleep? Well, lots of things, but what gets in the way of good sleep is poor sleep hygiene. And we're going to talk about that in a little while. And ultimately, um, which includes meal timing, it includes exposure to light. It includes all of those different things. But before I get to that, I want to give you some strategies to improve the two different phases of sleep that are the most important for us to focus on. We have deep sleep, which is slow wave sleep. And then there's REM sleep which is um, the, a different, which is a phase of sleep that is not quite as deep as deep sleep, but nevertheless is critical to our health. So here's ways to improve your deep, slow wave sleep. And what happens, I'm sorry, when you're in deep, slow wave sleep? Your heart rate drops, your body temperature drops, your respiratory rate drops. And this typically happens at the beginning of the night. It's at the beginning of your sleep right? So if you track your sleep, you'll, you will have noticed that you get better and more deep sleep if you go to bed earlier. 
There, when I was in school, we used to talk about how any every hour before midnight that you get to sleep is worth two hours after midnight. And I don't know if that's actually true, but what I can tell you is that when I personally go to bed, whether it's at 10, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, I will always see that I get better deep sleep metrics than when I go to bed after midnight. So, and I have night owl tendencies because I'm busy and I've got lots going on. And it is a constant discipline for me to make sure that I go to bed at least by 11 o'clock at night, because I know that if I do that, I'm going to get more deep sleep. Really important. So what happens during deep sleep? Amazing things. Your body releases growth hormone. And why is that important? Because when you release growth hormone is when you re your body repairs and you recover from your day. So it is super important for physical recovery, for your body, that you get deep sleep. And so how do we improve our deep sleep? What, do we, what are the things that are part of your sleep stack that are really critical for good deep sleep. A dark, quiet bedroom, lowering, allowing your body temperature to lower. And that means you need to keep that room cool. I personally don't, well, actually I'll talk about my hacks later, but whatever it takes to allow your body temperature to drop is what you're going to need to do. So hopefully you can either turn on the air conditioning or lower the heat in your house so that you hit around 68 degrees. And to a lot of people, that's going to seem crazy, but trust me, you're better off with, with needing a duvet than you are to kind of trying to cool yourself off. Um, this is going to be obvious to some and not so much to others. Avoid caffeine and alcohol before bed. And so I know that some of you are sitting, no, no, no. I mean, certainly the caffeine thing, everybody's like, duh. Some of you are convinced that you can have a double espresso before bed and go to sleep. Unless you can show me metrics from an aura ring or another device that confirms this, I'm calling you out on it. It's possible, but it's unlikely. Um, it's just what I'm going to say. As far as alcohol goes, a lot of you are sitting there going, ah, and you're full of it, Nat. I have a few glasses of wine and I sleep like a log. Actually, what you're doing is passing out. Alcohol is going to make a mess of your sleep architecture. It's going to make a mess of those sleep cycles. So avoid alcohol. I would say avoid alcohol at night. I know you want to have a gla your glass of wine before bed. If you can at least have it, maybe just one small glass of wine, not the nine ounce, maybe the six ounce at least three hours before sleep and wash it down with a bunch of water. Maybe you can get away with that, but I can telling you now that alcohol is not your friend when it comes to good quality restorative sleep. And finally, reduce blue light exposure. Now I know that there's a study that came out recently disputing this whole idea of exposure to blue light disrupting sleep. I don't know. I'm not convinced because I know that when I avoid blue light, I get better sleep. I know that when I wear my blue blockers, I get better sleep. I think there were probably some flaws in the study that they did. Or it, if, not, if nothing else, let's think about where blue light comes from. Most of the time for most of us, it's coming from our screens. It's coming from your phone, your TV, your laptop, your tablet, whatever. No matter what, if you're looking at these things, you're stimulating your brain. You're thinking, you're, God forbid, you're watching the news. That's a really bad idea. You're reading work stuff. You're scrolling through social media. 
All of these things are stimulating. All of these things are activating your nervous system. This is the last thing you want to do before you go to bed. You want to tone down your immune system. You want to make sure that you're allowing all systems to wind down so that you're ready to slide into sleep, right? Okay, so those are the, the tips for making sure or for helping to optimize your deep sleep. Now let's talk about ways to improve REM sleep. So this is when your glymphatic system, we talked about this, I think earlier, kicks in to clear out toxins and your brain basically does its house cleaning. So what's the glymphatic system in case we haven't talked about it? It's a lymphatic system specifically that resides in your brain. And it's responsible for clearing out all the waste products and toxins from the day. If you don't get enough REM sleep or you don't get good sleep or good quality sleep, the glymphatic system can't kick in, the maintenance can't be done, and you're stuck with those toxins the next day. So this is also the during this phase of sleep that your brain creates new neural connections which are essential for learning, problem solving, and critical thinking. Memory consolidation and emotional regulation also happens during REM sleep. So here's the thing, and this is for you people, if you're studying, if you're an adult, you know, the paradox is teenagers, these guys, that age group is notorious for burning the candle at both ends. They go to bed really, really late, and then they're forced to get up really, really early in the morning to go to school. And the they are compromising their ability to function well and to perform well at school. For those of us who are older, we're compromising our ability to maintain a healthy brain into old age. So sleep is critically important for your brain. It is, I mean, and you will notice after a few nights of sleep, of lost sleep, you don't function as well. You don't make as good decisions. You can't think clearly. There's a there's stats that show, there's research that shows that being completely sleep deprived, like just getting just a couple of hours sleep at night, if you go driving the next day, you may as well have had a bunch of drinks. You're almost as impaired. So super important to protect our REM sleep. How do we protect our REM sleep? consistent sleep pattern. Now, it's easy for people to say, yeah, Monday to Friday, I can be in bed by 11. I have to get up at seven o'clock in the morning. I'm good. But then on the weekend, what happens? Mm -hmm. On the weekend, we think we're making up for lost sleep by sleeping till 10 or 11 or God knows what time in the morning because we're going to bed super late at night. Look, going to bed late at night is going to happen on the weekends. You're with friends, you're out, you're enjoying. But I will say this, if you can maintain as close to a normal sleep schedule as many nights a week as humanly possible, you are going to benefit from it. You're going to be able to, your body, it's like your body knows what to do. It's able to move through those different stages of sleep. You will get better sleep. And by the way, it's a, you probably know this, it is a myth that you can make up for lost sleep on the weekends and then start over again during the week. It actually doesn't work that way. Sleep is a little bit like, how. what's an analogy? I used to sell out outdoor advertising. And so we had specific inventory. And if you missed out on filling an inventory, let's say for you didn't, you didn't sell a billboard for two weeks in September, you never got that revenue back. It's the same thing with sleep. You never get it back, right? You just, you may get more sleep, but it doesn't make up for the lost sleep earlier in the week. Reduce stress before bed. So this, again, this is about activating your parasympathetic nervous system and getting out of sympathetic mode, right? So there's many, many different ways of doing this. One of them might be a breathing work exercise. So I like to keep it simple. I prefer not to use a screen right before bed. There are definitely some great 
Um, there's some great tech out there that can help you to relax before bed. You're going to hear about one shortly if you haven't already. The Apollo wearable is something that can set, certainly help people's nervous system to calm down. There's there's a bunch of these different devices, but if you don't own one of those, there's things like breath work, right? Just a box breath or inhaling for four counts, holding, and then exhaling for eight counts. These things, I promise you, and I tell my clients this, you might even just be boring yourself to, to sleep. But here's the thing, that breath work allows your nervous system literally to reboot and recalibrate. You calm right down and you're able to slide into sleep. What's next? Movement, gentle stretching, foam rolling. These are things in subdued light, just turn the lights low. I have a salt lamp in my room. I really also like the Swanwick light bulbs that don't emit blue light. Um, it's kind of an orange glow. You can definitely do the red light, but I like the Swanwick bulb that has an orange glow to it. Having that on and doing some kind of gentle stretches or foam rolling, or if you happen to have one of those acupressure mats lying on that, all of these things are things that help that nervous system to come down and allow you to prepare for sleep. And of course, there's supplements. There's things, supplements that specifically seem to help with REM sleep would be magnesium. Um, and you guys all know that I'm a big fan of Bioptimizer's Magnesium Breakthrough. It really does wonders for my sleep. Things like glycine um, and of course, melatonin. Now, melatonin is kind of hit and miss for some people. It doesn't, remember the melatonin is not going to make you sleep, but it may help you to stay asleep. Understanding genetically, if you're a faster, a slow metabolizer of melatonin is going to be helpful because the slow metabolizers of melatonin, people like me, we need to take it earlier in the evening. Like I, for me, for melatonin to really do its thing, I like to take it at nine. And that way it doesn't, it's not in play when I need to be waking up in the morning. Fast mel melatonin metabolizers. These are people that can drink a cup of coffee, never get the jitters. Coffee really works for them as a nootropic. You're, that makes you a fast me uh, caffeine metabolizer. It's the same enzyme that breaks down melatonin. If you're a fast melatonin metabolizer, you might do well with a delayed release melatonin because if you take your melatonin, let's say at 10 o'clock at night, by the time two o'clock in the morning rolls around when you might be coming out of a deep phase of sleep and rising up and maybe waking up, there's not enough melatonin in your system to bring you back down into sleep again. So you kind of have to play with these things. A lot, a lot of the sleep hacks and sleep strategies are very bio-individual. I'm going to tell you this. There is no one thing that I've seen work for everybody. And I think everybody knows this. So I know that there's definitely some supplements, some good stacks out there. So there's some really good stuff. Um, Troscriptions has a great formula called TroCalm. They have a new formula called, I think, Tro. I don't actually know what it's called, but it's, it's going to be coming out in the next month or so. It focuses on GABA. That might be another really good one to help with sleep, but it's going to depend on what it is about you that's getting in the way of your sleep to see what's going to work for you. Hey guys, just a quick interruption to share with you something I've recently discovered, the Apollo wearable. It was developed by neuroscientists and physicians. It's a wearable that transforms how you feel through your sense of touch, giving you more energy, a brighter mood, deeper relaxation, and better flow. Through soothing, gentle waves of vibration called Apollo Vibes, the Apollo wearable helps your body to relax, reduces the feelings of stress, putting you into a state that allows you to have more control over how you want to feel. 
I love the Apollo wearable because I wear it either on the inside of my shirt or around my wrist or around my ankle. Nobody knows it's there. I just program it with my phone. Imagine Apollo vibes that are like music that you can feel. Imagine a playlist of soothing vibrations like the beat of a song for your body to listen to. Higher vibrations help us to improve our energy and focus, while lower vibrations reduce stress and help you relax. Apollo is unlike any other fitness and health wearables because it doesn't just track your health biometrics, it also actively helps to improve your health by strengthening your nervous system. All you have to do is wear it and feel the vibes. In recent research, Apollo wearable users experienced up to an average of 40% less stress and feelings of anxiety, up to 19% more time in deep sleep, on average up to 11% increase in HRV, and up to 25% more focus and concentration. If you'd like to give the Apollo wearable a try yourself, you can get $50 off by heading over to apolloneuro.com forward slash nat, and you $50 automatically applies or just use code nat50. And now let's get back to the episode. Let's talk a little bit about proper sleep hygiene. Okay. So a lot of people will tell you that the best night's sleep starts when you wake up in the morning. So that means light. So that means the first light that your eyes should see when you wake up in the morning is daylight outside. So if you're able to step out onto your balcony, step out onto a deck, step outside your door, take your dog out for an early, early morning pee, get out there and see the light that is the best thing you can do for sleep because that is what allows your brain to orient itself in the day and to say, oh, it's morning time. Shut down the melatonin and let's get ready for the day. And that allows your sleep cycle to start because that's when it begins so that you're going to have that sleep pressure that builds up later in the day. Next. Oh, actually, continuing on the right, sleep, right light at the right time, avoid wearing sunglasses all day long when you're outside because those sunglasses stand between you and your brain and proper information from the light that tells your brain where it is in the daytime. So I actually haven't worn sunglasses except for extreme occasions if I'm driving into the sunset. Uh, I haven't worn sunglasses in years. It saved me a million dollars. I will wear my blue blockers in the evening, which we'll talk about in a bit, but I don't typically wear sunglasses during the day. If you need sunglasses because you're very sensitive to sunlight for whatever reason, just make sure you get out in the middle of the day and you do allow natural light to hit your eyes at some point during the day and ideally sometime around sunset. Because once again, remember, this is information for your brain. Well, let's talk about how long it should take you to fall asleep. So how many of you say, I fall asleep before my head even hits the pillow? and where this is a badge of honor, right? There's the, I don't need, I'll sleep when I'm dead badge of honor. And then there's the, I fall asleep before I even hit the pillow. So the bad news is that if you fall asleep that fast, it's an indication that you're sleep deprived. It should take five to 15 minutes to fall asleep. So keep that in mind. This is the perfect time to be doing the breath work that we talked about before. It's doing that inhaling for four, hold for seven, exhale for eight. I I can almost guarantee you, unless you've got a major sleep issue going on, it will help you to unwind and fall asleep. Next, meal timing. Meal timing is critically important to sleeping, right? In a perfect world, we wake up and especially us women, we have protein within an hour of waking up. And I know a lot of people are sitting there going, but I need to intermittent fast, Nat. This doesn't work for me. I get it. 
I know that delaying your first meal is the easiest way to intermittent fast. All I'm, I'm just a messenger here. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm going to tell you that the most optimal window for fasting actually is the end of the day through till the next morning. And unfortunately, that makes a mess of our dinner plans. And dinner really is where we, as a society, tend to gather with our family, with our friends. Try to do this at least a couple of days a week. See if you can either have a very light, very early dinner, or if you can skip dinner altogether and allow your body to have that, you know, like have your last meal, maybe at four o'clock, maybe have a nice snack at four o'clock and then try or five o'clock even, and then try not to eat again until the next morning. One thing is for sure is that eating a heavy meal is going to make a mess of your sleep. I'm, I can guarantee it. You may not think so, but I'm telling you now, it will make a mess of your sleep. Exercise timing. So exercise is a great way to improve your sleep. There's lots of research out there that shows that different types of exercise help different populations of people. But here's where it doesn't help. If it's within a couple of hours of going to bed, even three hours, if the type of exercise you're doing jacks up your cortisol, which most types of exercise do, you are fighting mother nature. Because mother nature, your body needs your cortisol to be low in order for you to be able to fall asleep. So whatever you can do to keep that exercise let's say before 6 p.m., there's a lot of literature also that says that actually the optimal optimal window for exercise is around five o'clock. I personally need to get my exercise first thing in the morning because otherwise I get too busy and I don't do it. So make it work for you. But I will say that avoiding intense exercise later in the evening is going to be really great for your sleep. One other thing I think is really important is investing in a good mattress. So a couple of years ago, those of you who've been listening to my podcast know that I invested in an Essentia mattress. It is an investment. I think there's a code. It's not even actually an affiliate code. Um, it could save you a hundred bucks, but the fact that it's saving you a hundred dollars gives you an indication that this mattress is an investment. It's the best investment I've ever made in my sleep. I'm not going to lie. Having said that, even if you can't afford the big Essentia mattress, if you've been sleeping on the same mattress for 20 years, I promise you it's time to change it. So do your research, do your homework, get the best mattress you can afford. Try to get a mattress that's made from non-toxic materials so that it doesn't turn into a negative for you. Uh, but definitely getting a good mattress and changing up your mattress at a certain point in time will do wonders for your sleep. Okay, measuring sleep. Okay, this is a bit of a hot topic and there's two types of people in the world. There's people who are fascinated by the data and love collecting data on themselves and sleep data is one of those things that they collect. I wear a Nora ring. Uh, I've worn a bio strap at times. I sleep on a device that also measures my sleep. So I've got kind of different sources of data and they believe me, they're different sources because they give me different numbers. So we've got people that love the data and then we have people who get stressed by the data. So if you fall into category number two and you get stressed about the data and you can't get your head around the idea of release the judgment, this is not a judgment any morning. It's not about, did I get a great night's sleep? It's really about... Can you observe what are the things that help you to get a better night's sleep? If you're able to take kind of detach from the outcome a little bit or detach from the results a little bit and be more observational about it, if you're able to do that, then by all means, please, please, please get a sleep measurement device and measure your sleep. Because at the end of the day, as we like to say in the business, you cannot change what you do not measure, right? Plus, it'll give you an idea on different supplements, different sleep strategies we've already talked about. 
all of these things will contribute to, for you, maybe improving your sleep or not improving your sleep, but you're not going to know unless you look, okay? If you really can't, if you can't do it, if it stresses you out to measure your sleep, then try to keep a sleep diary maybe. Try to make, keep a notebook and say, you know, here are the things I did tonight before bed. Here's what my day looked like. And then when you wake up in the morning, try to rank your sleep. How do you feel? Do you feel refreshed? What's, what's happening with your body? Do you feel recovered? And try to get subjective measurements of how good your sleep was. Another big indication, obviously, is do you need an alarm clock to wake up? I personally don't need an alarm clock to wake up. The only time I will use an alarm clock is if I'm flying, if I need to make a flight or I have an early morning workout, because if I don't use an alarm clock, then I will not get a good night's sleep because I'll be worried about not waking up in time, even though I would naturally most of the time wake up before my alarm. So if you don't happen to need an alarm clock, that is a good sign as long as you're not waking up in a state of anxiety, which happens to all of us when we're particularly stressed and have a lot going on. But if you don't need an alarm clock in general to wake up, that's a reasonably good sign that you're doing a good job with your sleep. Okay, let's talk about some sleep hacks. So these are some of the things that I have found have made a really good, have really helped me with my sleep over the last number of years. So one thing is I didn't, I do have a mattress cooling device. I used to have, and actually I'm not going to name brands, right? So there's different brands out there. There's Uller, there's Eight Sleep, there's all these different brands. What I will say is that having a mattress cooling device, even though you might only be going down one or two degrees, does make a huge difference to your sleep because it takes the pressure off the air conditioning. It takes the pressure off, you know, freezing the whole house for you for you to sleep well. And it it draws the heat away from your body in a very particular way. So if you can afford one of these things and you resonate with it, I would say it's a pretty good investment. Some of them will even give you sleep metrics in the morning. Um, I think both the Doc Pro and the Eight Sleep will do that. They're actually quite interesting. So mattress cooling device is a good one. Another hack that I've used over the last little while that's made a massive difference for me, and you're going to laugh, are noise-canceling headphones. Now, I am not a pretty picture when I'm sleeping. I have a fit, I have an eye mask on because I don't have blackout blinds in my new house and I need to make my room dark, which is my other sleep hack, is an eye mask. So I wear a satin or silk eye mask and I wear noise-canceling headphones. I have found that those noise-canceling headphones, number one, keeps me on my back, which for me is a good thing. Sleeping Back sleeping for some people is no good because their tongue falls back and then forces them to, to snore, and it may drive sleep apnea even worse, which sleep apnea is a major issue in sleep. And if you think you might have sleep apnea, get yourself checked out. Go do a sleep study. It is critical. Sleep apnea will ultimately impair your ability to live a long, healthy life without being overly dramatic about it. People who have sleep apnea will have high blood pressure. They have blood they have um, blood sugar issues. They all the things that we talked about earlier, all the negatives are for sleep people who have sleep apnea. Not to mention the fact that if your partner has sleep apnea, you're not going to be able to sleep because you're going to be listening to them either snoring or gasping for air periodically in the night. So. In my case, I started wearing noise-canceling headphones a few months ago because my husband, he breathes loudly and he was snoring. He was having snoring issues. I was getting tired of like 
jabbing him with my elbow. He was getting tired of me jabbing him with my elbow. So finally, in desperation, one night, I tried earplugs. They didn't work for me. They they just don't block the noise. I tried my noise-canceling headphones. And guys, it is a game changer for me. So try it out. It also means when I put on all my stuff on my face in at night before going to bed, it stays on my face. It doesn't rub off on my pillowcase. <laughs> Um, another thing is a silk or satin pillowcase. Uh, I discovered these a few months ago. I've given them as gifts to all my friends. It keeps you cooler in the night. It's great for your hair. It's amazing. I do have a list in front of me for those of you who think I'm reading because I didn't want to forget things. Consistency with your schedule. We talked about this already. Massively important. Breath work and the right light at the right time. So those are some of my sleep hacks. In terms of supplements, I have found, and again, I'm going to tell you, this is going to vary from person to person, okay? So for some people, chamomile, valerian, passionflower, oat straw, teas can be really powerful. Valerian, you can get as a tincture. Valerian is really stinky, but it's quite good for sleep. So for some people, those are amazing. For me, I like my three mag breakthroughs. I will make myself sometime, I will almost always be taking uh, the original formula of um, primidine because spermidine is really actually great for deep sleep. Um, and those of you who follow me know that I will sometimes make myself a little sleep cocktail. I will take um, like maybe this much milk, or if you don't drink milk, I, I will have yogurt or you can use a coconut yogurt, whatever you use. It's just a couple of tablespoons. It's very little. And I'll stir it up with the spermidine, like the natural food grade derived spermidine. Um, I'll put spermidine in there. I'll put in five milligrams of glycine, which is amazing for sleep. I'll throw in some cinnamon. I'll stir it up. And, you know, two tablespoons of yogurt is not a lot. So you got to smush it around. And then I eat that. And I find if I do that about a half an hour before bed, it's amazing for my sleep. Okay, so those are my sleep cocktails, my my sleep snacks before bed. There's also um, a great sleep snack by, who else has? Oh, uh, Designs for Health, Insomnitol. There are people who do really well with that. Bioptimizers also has Sleep Breakthrough, which is a beautiful sleep snack, and it takes, tastes amazing. Um, and what other sleep things can I share with you? There's just, there's so many things, right? I actually did a podcast recently with Adam Wenger, from Element Health Supply. Some of his CBD stuff is just amazing. It really hits the mark for some people for sleep. Um, I do find that I do get better sleep when I take a couple of his capsules. I'm not a big fan of the taste of the oil, so I'm a wimp that way. But if you're good with the oil, I would do the oil under your tongue. It could be amazing. So be open to trying different things until you find that thing that really works for you. I will say that there's no supplement that's going to overcome bad sleep hygiene, and bad behavior during the day, okay? So make sure that you're not trying to use your supplements to overcome all the bad stuff that you might be doing, or I mean, let's not call it bad. Let's just call it all of the counterproductive things you may be doing that are getting in the way of your sleep. All right, is there a peptide for that? Everybody's always asking me. I can't sleep now. What peptide should I use? So here's the thing. There are a couple of peptides that can help with circadian rhythm, but I have not seen peptides make a difference unless you're doing everything else right, okay? So we have the bioregulator, Epitalon, which is the pineal gland bioregulator. 
also called endolutin, depends what form you're using it in. It One of its hallmarks is it normalizes your own melatonin production and it helps to regulate circadian rhythm. So doing a couple of cycles of Epitalon a couple of times a year can be a little bit of a reset for you. I will tell you that in the communities that I manage, I get feedback on both ends of the spectrum with Epitalon. Some people say, oh my God, I do Epitalon and my sleep is amazing. I can't believe it. It's incredible. And Epitalon is not a long-term thing. It might be 10 days a month for a couple of months, or it could just be one 30-day cycle once or twice a year. But it, you're not going to use Epitalon like a supplement. But Epitalon, the pineal gland bioregulator, can really be helpful in resetting that circadian cycle and in resetting your melatonin production. And we get people on the other side of the spectrum who'd use the pineal gland bioregulator and it doesn't touch their sleep. It does nothing for them. So that tells us that either their pineal gland's not working properly, which is a possibility, or it tells us that that wasn't the issue in the first place. There's something else, right, in that list of things that you can and should be doing that's not getting hit. Okay, the most direct peptide for sleep is a sleep is a peptide called now don't get too excited at the name it's dsip which stands for deep sleep inducing peptide no don't run to your computer stop okay so deep sleep inducing peptide is really interesting number one because there are actually clinical trials on humans and there are some clinical applications in people so if this is something you might want to try definitely speak to your practitioner about it Hopefully you're working with someone who's familiar with peptides. Here's a little bit of information, more information about DSIP for you. And I will say that DSIP is very hit and miss. It works really well for some people and it does not work well for others. So I'm going to give you a little masterclass on DSIP now. We're going to talk about a bunch of stuff and then we're going to finish off. So it was originally isolated from rabbit brains. It is produced in the hypothalamus and it is made in our brains as well our plasma levels of DSIP will increase as the day goes on. What it does, it's not a sedative, it increases what's called sleep pressure, okay? So it does induce delta wave sleep, which is your deep sleep, which is amazing, right? Because we talked about how important deep sleep is. And it's also been used, it's been considered as a treatment for insomnia. It seems to work for some people and then it doesn't work in others. So it's very inconclusive as far as a um, a treatment for insomnia goes. Um, what it does is it seems to have a modulating effect on sleep and wake functions, but it works better in people who have disturbed sleep. It's not going to be a sleep improvement tool for people who already sleep pretty well. Okay, so this is an important distinction to make. Um, what else can I tell you about it? Compared to other pep many other peptides, number one, this is a little bit odd uh, and is a little bit telling. DSIP can actually cross the blood-brain barrier and it's readily absorbed from the gut without being denatured by enzymes. So this is one of those interesting things that tells us the DSIP may actually be available orally. It may be bioavailable orally. Other fast facts about DSIP, it's present in very high concentrations in human breast milk. One thing I want to tell you guys is that DSIP should not be used by people who use a drug called Captopril, C-A-P-T-O-P-R-I-L, which is used for blood pressure. It's used in people who've had a heart attack. 
it's it's got all kinds of applications in cardiovascular disease. So that's captopril because it's degraded by the same enzyme as DSIP and they may compete and there's not enough studies. So DSIP is interesting because it, it may work quite well for people. Usually it works well later in the day. It's used in very tiny amounts, like 100 to 200 micrograms. I interviewed Dr. Elizabeth Yurth a couple of years ago. She talked a lot about DSIP, and she said that depending on the patient, it was different times of day seemed to work better for different people. So it's one of those peptides that's, you know, I don't think we fully get, get why it works in some people and not in others, but it does seem to work well for some people. So it might be something to try, but only after you've addressed all those other factors that we talked about, all sleep hygiene. The last peptide category that seems to show benefit for sleep are some of the growth hormone secretagogues, in particular, sermorelin, because it actually does have a direct impact on sleep. And possibly also it promotes that growth hormone release, which is synergistic with sleep. But again, these are kind of, this is the growth hormone secretagogues in particular are in not cleared for human use yet. They are not FDA approved. So these peptides, while there are biohackers out there playing with them and using them and finding that they may be helpful for sleep, we are also finding that in some people, there's a paradox, doesn't help. And that happens also with DICIP. Okay, so- this is basically my sleep podcast for you. Hopefully you got some value. Hopefully there's a little nugget in there somewhere that was a new idea for you. Or if nothing else, maybe it can encourage you to focus a little bit more on your sleep as a tool for longevity and health span, because I'm here to tell you, you've probably heard it before, but there is no doubt that if you're looking to live a long and healthy life, and you want to be a superhuman, going to have to focus on your sleep. So thank you so much, you guys, for listening. If you've made it this far, this is a lot longer than my usual 30-minute solo episode. But if you've made it this far, thank you for sticking with me. I have podcasts on a lot of the things that I've talked about here. Definitely reach out to me, preferably through, let me see, through my website, if you're looking, or on Instagram. I'm on Instagram a lot, at Natalie Nidham. And also, you might want to think about joining my private membership community on Mighty Networks. It's a smaller community, but I do live Q&As in there. I get experts coming in doing regular live Q&As with people. We do some really cool experiments and generally we have a good time. It's like I said, it's much smaller, but it's much more intimate, if you will, and a lot calmer than the Facebook group. Well, we'll see what happens with Facebook group. Last but not least, if you got value from this episode, I would love it if you would share it with your friends, your network, and your family, um, anybody else you know who would get value from this episode. And finally, if you are inspired to do so, I would invite you to leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast, because that's how we get to rank up. That's how more people find us. And that is ultimately how I'm able to get you better guests, more amazing guests. I don't know, you can get better guests. I mean, the guests we've had lately and over the last three years have been amazing. I'm so grateful to every single person who's taken time to talk to me and be featured on this podcast, but definitely it allows us to bring you more and more amazing guests to share their wisdom with you. So thank you so much. Make sure to keep in touch and have an amazing day, night, whatever it is, wherever you are in your day. Take care. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. 
If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly, or if you'd like to leave any comments, or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, natnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. It's a short application. Just answer a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. Thanks again, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.